Welcome back to The Mindful Hunter. I'm your host as always, Jay Nickel. And today we have part one in the most ambitious review I have ever done on this channel. And we are going to look at five different backpacks. Now, you'll notice I got the backpacks laid out beside me. I got my laptop loaded up with a big giant spreadsheet that I've been working on for the last couple weeks. And I wanna get some notes out of the way before we get into this. Number one, this is going to be long. This is not going to be some clickbait best pack of 2022 that's seven minutes long. Probably gonna be, I don't know, a couple of hours over several parts by the time we dig into all the different elements of these bags in as thorough a manner as I deem necessary in order to come to an objective opinion about which of these bags is better than the rest. Um, also, I paid cash for every single one of these bags and got zero discount from any of the manufacturers. I'm not incentivized in any way, shape, or form, and they have zero input or editorial control over the final output of this review. And I, I was very intentional about that because I'm sick and tired of all the sponsored bullshit reviews on YouTube. And that's the entire reason for the existence of Mindful Hunter is thoughtful, objective, unbiased reviews. So keep that in mind. I wanna talk a moment about tribalism and the psychological effects of marketing. You're gonna hear some things about your favorite bag that you don't like. And that's because you feel like you're a part of that particular brand or that brand speaks to you. And that's fine. The only thing I'm gonna ask of you when you are listening to this review is dig for some self-awareness. Do you like what you like for objective technical reasons? Or do you like what you like because of some emotion or sense of belonging that you get from that material object? And that's fine if you do, but just don't get the two confused. So when you think there could be nothing wrong with a particular product, just recognize that that can be clouded through marketing efforts and social media and all the rest. So take a step back, look at your shit objectively and be honest with yourself about some of the shortcomings of your products. I'm not here to insult the brands you love or the products that you paid your hard-earned money for. And on that note, every single one of the bags that we're gonna discuss here is a premium bag, and you will be well-served by any of them. There are no shit bags. There are none of these would I throw in the garbage. I would go hunting comfortably with any one of these bags. We're here to talk about the one to 2% differences between premium products and maybe some of the things that I might notice that other people wouldn't notice because of my eye to detail or because I've been doing reviews for a while. And also just the fact that very few people get to put these five bags side by side. And I think that's really helped me see some things that if I was looking at these bags in isolation, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to notice. Also, this is part one. I don't want you to think that the conclusions that I came to in part one represent some type of final decision. What I did in part one is basically broke out first impressions and a 40 pound pack. And, and then I'm gonna walk through all the different elements that I measured in regards to those two main categories. And so I would argue that the recommendation I come up with at the end of this particular part would be the best day bag or best bivy bag, you know, two to three day hunt bag. And that might not necessarily be the ex the best expedition bag. Um, please remember all of this is based on personal opinion and it's going to be influenced heavily by body type. I'm currently six foot one, 230 pounds. A bag is gonna fit me differently than a guy who's five eight and 260 pounds, or 6'4", and 180 pounds. So what fits me might not fit you, and vice versa. So take everything I say with a grain of salt and back it up with some of your own research, and hopefully you can try some of this stuff on. 
all of these manufacturers are pretty decent to deal with. A couple of times I got some parts that weren't quite right and you know, basically for no charge across the board, they were helping me swap stuff out. So like really take advantage of that when you are investing in a bag of this caliber. Now I mentioned that a day bag, the bag that gets deemed as the best day bag might not be the next, the best expedition bag. And I wanna talk about why. I wanna look at the difference between a Ferrari and a diesel truck. Obviously, different tools are built for different jobs. And you wouldn't expect Ferrari performance from a diesel pickup, and you wouldn't expect off-road performance from a Ferrari. Also, let's take this in even more finer detail. If you drive a lot of logging roads, you're gonna have a tougher suspension, you're gonna have a different set of tires, that's gonna make driving on that logging road more comfortable for you. But then when you take it out on the highway, maybe you'll have more road noise, maybe the suspension is a little too stiff and you feel every bump in the road. And so recognize that in order to be successful at a certain set of circumstances, you may need to take compromises in other sets of circumstances. So some bags feel better with more weight in them and some of the bags that feel great at 40 pounds might feel shit at 80 pounds. Also, please don't take this the wrong way. I'm not looking to get swamped with your feedback. This happens every time I put out a review. When I come to my conclusions, it's through my own research. And I like having conversations on Instagram and elsewhere, and it's great to hear people's opinions, but I'm not asking 300 of you to email me why you disagree with me and why you think your bag is better than the bag I chose. Don't take this the wrong way. I don't care. If, if you want to do more research and come to your own conclusions, please feel free to do so. And if you feel so strongly about those conclusions that you need to tell somebody, I recommend starting your own YouTube channel or your own Instagram account and posting those up for everybody to see so that you can share your experience and wisdom with other people. I don't need a bunch of people arguing with me online about my research methodologies or why they think their bag is better or this bag is better or I should have tested it like that. I, I value everyone's opinion, but I'm not interested in being second-guessed and swamped with a bunch of, of emails. So thank you for your, your thoughtful intentions, but take a breath and just don't send the email or the Instagram message or whatever it is. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about methodology. So I literally started the testing as soon as I ordered the bags. The five bags we're gonna be looking at are the Kafaru Fulcrum with the duplex light frame, the Stone Glacier Sky Guide 7900 with the X-Curve frame, the XO K3 6400, the Mystery Ranch Marshall, and the Kuyu Pro 7800. I wanted to do expedition bags first because this is where I think my personal experience lends me to have the most credibility. I also think this is where bags tend to step apart. Bag and frame systems tend to step apart. Almost any bag can be comfortable with 30 to 50 pounds. It's when you start getting 80 pounds plus in a bag that you really start to see where the weaknesses shine through. And so I wanted to do really intense testing with the upper limit of the bags. It also made selecting the bags easier because I simply got the largest bag offered by each of the manufacturers. And there are some weaknesses to this experimental design. For instance, the K3 is only 6,800 cubic inches total, and the Kafaru with lid comes in at 9,000 cubic inches. So that's 2,200 cubic inches more. So it's a little bit of apples to oranges in some regards, but I think by equalizing the weights and by looking at ratios as opposed to absolute numbers, I think we can even out some of those inconsistencies. So for example, in addition to all the individual testing of parts and components and fabrics that, I, that I'm doing, 
We're also gonna be doing load tests with 40 pounds, 80 pounds, and 120 pounds. I am done all of the 40 pound testing. So we looked at packability, compressibility, lateral stability, vertical stability, comfort, fitment, a whole whack of things. And we'll be doing the exact same set of tests with 80 pounds and 120 pounds. And I'm particularly interested to see how things flesh out and see if the rankings move around a little bit. Another note, in some way, shape or form, all of these have a meat shelf. I'm not including meat shelf volume in any of the calculations because I'm basically arguing that they balance each other out. Now I will be doing extensive meat shelf testing, which one has the best packability, um, which is the easiest and the most intuitive and a whole series. So we will be opening all the bags up, putting loads in those meat shelves and then doing a series of activities with loads in the meat shelves and loads on the, on the back compartments. And I think what I will most likely do is integrate those into the 120 pound tests. Because to be quite honest with you, except for the Kafaru Fulcrum, I don't think you can fit 120 pounds of, of good volume related items in the most of these bags without going to the meat shelf. So we will be looking at, at meat shelves. Now, to start off, I'm gonna give a brief overview of each bag. Then what we're gonna do is get into the individual characteristics that I assessed, what the scores are, and then an overall score for part one. I also wanted to do the scoring system in a somewhat unique manner in that I wanted to be forced to rank them on each set of characteristics. So because there's five bags, every bag got a score of one to five on each of the characteristics. And I wasn't allowed to duplicate any of the numbers. So for example, for 40 pound comfort, the most comfortable bag gets a five, the least comfortable bag gets a one, and all the rest of the bags go in between. And what this means is that the, the, the sheer amount of testing I had to do was kind of ridiculous because I would keep having to test, you know, two or three bags and say, okay, now these two or three, this one's the best, and then try another two and be like, okay, that one's the best. And I'm like, okay, these two are both good. They're better than the other ones. Now try these ones back and forth. Oh, this one's better than that one. And then I kept having to rank them across a variety of characteristics. What I'm trying to drive home here is that I, I am not perfect and my research methodologies are not perfect. But the ultimate goal was to, was to be as objective as possible and to remove as many subjective biases as possible. And I did that by being really strict, keeping really good records, and really diving into as many of the nerdy details as I could. I will be uploading this spreadsheet once the entire review process is done. Also, I have two major hunts planned for kind of this summer and, and early fall, a 15 day solo stone sheep hunt, and then a 12 day elk caribou moose hunt, depending on how the cards play out. And I will be taking the top two bags, unless the Kafaru wins, because I've already run the Kafaru in a bunch of backcountry hunts. Um, I'll be taking the top two bags except for the Kafaru, one on each of those hunts, and then I'll basically be able to compare the top two or three bags. I'll give that the additional dimension of a real world hunt in each of them. And some people may say that the only way to actually test bags is by taking them on a bunch of hunts. I disagree. I think it's a valuable vector to look at, but I also think there is a bunch of inconsistencies on hunts. Was it raining on one? Was it dry on another? Was your elevation different? Was the terrain different? Were you successful and had a heavy pack out on one and unsuccessful with no heavy pack out on another? And to really establish objective benchmarks, I think utilizing tests that are replicable and valid time and time again helps us come to a more firm conclusion or have more confidence in our conclusion. That being said, I'm recognizing this is not an exhaustive test and I'm gonna do what I can to add in that real world factor. But I do live in Vancouver, there's lots of mountains, I go hiking all the time, trust me when I tell you, I've worn these things extensively 
in a variety of circumstances that are very similar to those that we would see when we're out hunting. Okay, let's dive into the first bag, the Kuyu Pro 7800. Now, first of all, I wanna say, this is probably the most premium feeling, looking and acting of the bags. It has a bunch of really intricate pockets. Um, all the webbing is really nice. The materials are really great. The presentation, it's like a complicated bag. There's little hidden pockets everywhere. It closes in weird ways. Like it would take you a month of Sundays to really drill into this bag and learn how it's kind of set up. So that's the first thing you notice. Also, we'll get into the purchase experience later when I go through that, but the, the buying experience was very pleasurable from Kuyu. They're set up very well, probably better than, than all the rest. Now, let's get into some of the details. Inside, along the frame, there's like this internal compression straps that I thought was maybe meant to be used for loading up training weights, like sandbags or something. But to be honest with you, they're really too small to maybe hold anything except for a water bladder. I used 40 pound bags of kitty litter. And the reason I did that practically enough is that I have a cat and I couldn't think of anything else that I could buy that I would eventually use. So I bought five 40 pound bags of kitty litter and I'm about to buy five more so I can run the 80 pound tests. And basically I'm about to have 10 years worth of kitty litter in my house. But these compression straps that are on the inside, I thought I would be able to use them to strap down the kitty litter inside, but you couldn't. They were far too short. It's kind of a nice feature, to be, but to be honest with you, if this was my bag and I was gonna run it full time, I would just remove it. I would get rid of the extra weight. Um, it didn't really serve that much of a function. Um, this is one of those cases where if you have this bag and you've come up with a really great you know, use case for those, please shoot me a message. I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Now, one of the cool things about the Kuyu bag that sets it apart from the rest of the bags is this attachment system here. Most of the strapping on the bags gets sewn directly into the bags and it creates a bit of a weak point because you have this load-bearing strap that's anywhere from a half an inch to an inch and a half wide and the corners can have a disproportionate amount of tension and you can get little rips in your bag. What Kuyu has done is they have these like rubberized, almost flanged webbing that, that arcs out and creates greater surface area. So they sew this webbing into the bag and then they sew the strap into the webbing at the high tension spots. Um, really nice touch. I was very impressed with that um, and it works very well. I like it quite a lot. Um, the external compression straps are great. And they basically have two sets of compression straps on the bag. They have some that run up the side that's gonna help you control the overall width of the bag opening. And then they have ones that run across the face that are center attaching that allow you to control the kind of breadth of the bag. Or let's, let's take that back. The first would allow you to control the depth and the second would allow you to control the width. And what I found when I was strapping things down is this gave me a, an ability to get things incredibly tight. So I was very impressed with how intuitive that was and how technical you were able to get, like little tighter here, a little looser here. Like you were really able to have a lot of control over your bag. And what that's gonna allow you to do is load the bag fully, compress it so it's snug, but not crush the stuff you have inside. It would also allow you to run your bow or your rifle along the back of the bag with those secondary compression straps and not crush the rifle scope or bow sight into the bag. You can apply just enough attention and tension and you'll be able to use the side straps to actually compress the bag itself. The fitting on the Kuyu, I was quite impressed with. It took a little bit to get used to it, but one of the main differentiating factors between the fitment of these bags is that one group of these bags has articulating shoulder straps, which means, so they don't just move up and down in order to adjust torso length of the bag, but they also rotate. And what that allows you to do is adjust where on your traps the shoulder straps are riding. Three of the bags do that, two of them do not. I've never had a bag that did that until now, and that was a bit of a game changer for me. 
That really allows you to fine tune the fit of the bag. It gives you a whole nother variable of adjustment. So that really stuck out to me. This was the first bag I adjusted that had that ability. Um, and it was quite surprising. I, I think it's a big deal. Now, most of the webbing on this bag is probably three quarter inches wide. It's smaller than the other bags. I wonder long-term about that. I wonder about it creating undue tension in certain areas. It means the buckles are smaller. Um, it, it, I Listen, I can't say for sure it's gonna break down over time, but it's one of those red flags to me that like, I get it, you did it to shave weight, but there's always, there's no free lunch in life. You always gotta pay the piper somewhere. And I wonder that if this isn't gonna, you know, have a long-term effect. Um, load lifter angle. So when you're fitting a, a bag, one of the things you need to pay attention to is load lifter angle. Now load lifters should be a secondary piece of webbing that runs up from approximately your collarbone at maybe a, a somewhere between a 15 and 45 degree angle, most likely 30-ish, to the top of the bag. And what that allows you to do is shorten those load lifters under really heavy loads, and that will bring the load a little higher up your back and a little closer to your upper back, moving the center of gravity from away from your body to closer to your body. Where this really comes into play, and when you feel it when it's not done appropriately, is you're climbing up a hill, and you feel like your bag is literally pulling you back down off the mountain. Normally, that's because your load lifters aren't tight enough. You cinch your load lifters down, snugs the pack next to your body, and off you go. Now, I bought the tall versions of all of these bags. I'm six foot one. Most of the bags, in my opinion, have an insufficient load lifter angle, or at the very least, if they had a greater load lifter angle, they would provide more stability under heavy loads. Most of these bags don't have great load lifter angles because of my size. I think dudes are 5'10 and have the torso adjustment cranked down a little bit tighter are naturally gonna have a better load lifter angle. So don't really wanna call any of them out too intensely for that, but I do wanna make note of it because I think it's one of the key elements you need to think of when you're fitting a pack to yourself. Okay, hip belt length. Now, I bought the biggest hip belt that they have. Let's back it up. Your iliac crest is those little hip bones that stick out kind of just below where your love handles would be. You want the meat of a hip belt to be over that iliac crest because that's when you cinch that down, that iliac crest is gonna provide the shelf along with the lumbar support in, the, in, your, in your back up above your ass in order to hold the bag up so that you can keep the majority of the weight on the hip belt and then maybe 35 to 40% of the weight on your shoulder pads. They say this hip belt is supposed to fit a 50 inch waist. Yes, while technically that may be true and there might be enough webbing to stretch the hip belt out to 50 inches, there's no way you would actually have padding over the parts that matter. So in my opinion, this hip belt is too short for its advertised length. I have a 38 inch waist, I wear 38 inch pants. The physical measurement around my waist directly on the iliac crest is 39 inches. So I would say, and this, this belt just fits me, like I can definitely load it up. We'll see what happens when I put 80 and 120 pounds, but for 40 pounds, it was sufficient. But if you had a 40 inch waist or greater, I would not recommend the Kuyu bag. This does not surprise me. Kuyu is classically built for tall, skinny guys. I can't wear their pants. I can't wear most of, those, most of their clothes. They're not built for like thick, blocky, athletic dudes. They're built for tall, skinny dudes. Um, so yeah, what else do we got here? Um, Okay, that's really all the points I have overall for the Kuyu bag. Um, it's a very fancy bag and it's very pretty. I will definitely say that. We have the Stone Glacier Sky 7900. Um, also has articulating shoulder straps, has heavier duty webbing than the Kuyu does. 
kind of thicker, blockier buckles, much simpler than the Kuyu. Hip belt is definitely longer and firmer material. Shoulder straps are firmer. Um, the shoulder straps themselves, interestingly enough, have two layers of Velcro. So when you lift up the shoulder strap, there's the Velcro here, there's this other weird piece of Velcro, and then there's the third piece of Velcro. And I'm not, to be honest with you, I'm not 100% sure why they needed all those layers. The only thing I could figure out is that it, it does make it somewhat easier to like slide it up and down because you can like take the layers apart, stick one down and then slide the other one in. But I didn't really understand. I didn't really understand why it was there and it was kind of a pain in the ass. The other thing that kind of sticks out is that there is no secondary attachment device on the shoulder straps. All the other bags have the primary Velcro that like holds it to the bag. And then they also have like another backup device or another to like disperse the tension. And they'll have like a clip or they'll have some web loops or like something else. Yes, it has this strap that goes across the two shoulder straps. But other than the Velcro, there's no other mechanism holding that shoulder strap physically to the bag. Kind of seems odd to me. I would have thought there would have been another clip or buckle somewhere, but I'm sure they've adequately tested it. And, you know, I guess it probably hasn't been a problem, but I did think it wise to, to note. Um, one thing that bothered me is the way they've got the lid designed. The lid straps go directly over top of the load lifter straps. So essentially, if you cinch down your lid, you are going to be cutting your load lifter angle in half, which made no sense to me. And I thought, yeah. And then if you don't have it that tight, the straps fall over the side and the lid falls down the front of the bag. Lids are one of my bones of contention. Most of these bags have shit lids. Um, and I think they could use improvement. Um, and one or two of the bags have really good lids that the rest of these guys should look to and kind of copycat some of those ideas because it's a pretty basic level of functionality. Um, so yeah, that was that was a little bit concerning to me. I didn't like didn't like that. However, that being said, it, uh, the load lifter angles themselves, when not impinged by the lid straps, uh, the load lifter angles were great. Um, some of the better ones out of all the packs. And this one also has articulating shoulder straps. The Stone Glacier really stuck out as having like firm padding and pretty thin padding. This one and the Kafaru, both are pretty thin. And I think that's kind of a de design philosophy. The bags seem to go one of two ways, like a thinner, wider strap that kind of dis displaces the weight across a great greater surface area. So it doesn't need to be as, as cushy or they use a thicker, narrower pad thinking it can, with more pounds per square inch, it's going to have more friction and more traction. And then they compensate for that by using a very comfortable material. Um, I'll get into the rest of the intricacies about the bag itself once we get into the individual characteristics we're going to look at, but that's a brief overview of the Stone Glacier. Also a very nice bag. Like as soon as you open this thing, you're like, oh, this is a badass piece of gear. Like I want to take this out in the field and, and run this thing through its paces. Okay, now we got the XO K3 6400. I'll be completely honest. I've been a little biased against these packs. I tend to not like companies that do the hardcore YouTube marketing stuff. Crispy, First Light, Vortex. I steer clear of those companies because my philosophy, if you're spending that much money on marketing, it's money that could be going back into the bag. That being said, other companies probably spend similar amounts on marketing, they just do it in different ways by buying magazine ads and other stuff. Also, just on a personal note, I don't like that aggressive give it to everybody and then have everybody pretend like they love it, even though you know they're getting paid or they got free gear. That just kind of like grates at my soul. If I get something for free, trust me, I'm gonna tell you I got it for free. 
So that being said, I was pretty surprised by how much I liked this bag, kind of right out of the gate. I think there's some intuitive features that EXO nailed right out of the gate. Um, we'll get into more of those later. But again, like the other bags, you open it and you're immediately struck with like thoughtful design approach, high quality materials, you know, really well put together bag. It's, it's a very good bag. Um, in particular, here's a great example. So they have a different style of compression strap along the bottom of the bag. All of the bags allow you to increase and decrease the width of the bottom of the bag so that when you have a smaller load, everything doesn't just pile up in the bottom of the bag. And what EXO has done differently is created a pivot point at the front corner of the bag and use that as almost a pulley system and then had the compression straps actually tighten up the front of the bag. So what this will allow you to do is that when the bag is loaded and standing up, you can still pull on these straps and decrease the width of the opening at the bottom of the bag. Whereas most other bags, those straps are literally right on the bottom. So when you have a fully loaded bag, it can be quite difficult in order to, to close it. Also, lots of people, myself included, run a tent or a sleeping roll along the bottom of the bag, and that can sometimes cover up those straps, and you can't tighten them. So having the straps situated the way they do is really an interesting, innovative solution for that particular problem. This bag fit the quickest. Literally, like, took it out, couple adjustments, put it on, boom, that feels great. Uh, one caveat to that is I do wonder if that's still gonna hold true when I put a bunch of weight on it. Like, in my mind, I almost think a bag that's too comfortable with 30 or 40 pounds on it probably can't be comfortable with 120 pounds on it, but that's a bias I'm willing to check and an assumption that we'll, we'll, we'll test out over the course of this entire process. Um, but overall, that's the XO K3 6400. Okay, up next, the Mystery Ranch Marshall. Now, the torso length was very easy to adjust. It's got this cool adapter plate, you just slide out and you slide the whole um, torso adjustment up and down. However, this is the first bag we've talked about so far that the entire torso adjustment is like one unit. So there's no articulating the shoulder straps whatsoever, which for me, now that I've been exposed to bags that do have articulating shoulder straps, is a pretty big red flag. Um, really insufficient compression straps on this one. I'm gonna be totally honest here. Could not lock down a 40 pound load for the life of me. I had every single strap on here as tight as possible and it was still like a bowl of soup in there. Things just rolling around everywhere. That's pretty disappointing. The load lifter attachment is a very odd design. Essentially, they have these two poles that run up and they're connected by this brace and the load lifters come right off there. Now, I haven't run this bag for an extensive period of time, but this is something like a point of weakness that just jumps right out at me. Like, if you're running around with 100, 120 pounds, like coming out heavy, I don't know, man. I, this, this does not build confidence in me. Like, I can just bend the shit out of this thing just with my bare hands. I don't know how that's supposed to, you know, keep the vast majority of the weight up there. I also don't like how narrow those load lifters are. Like I, for some lateral stability, I would like them out, you know, wider, like maybe outside towards the edges of the collarbone. Uh, anyways, just something to keep note of. The plastic adjuster that goes in the back, so, there's basically a, a Velcro strap and then this adjuster plate slides in and out. Now, this is the plate that is responsible for providing the curve to the frame. And I gotta say, like, this feels like that toy sled material that you would like go down a hill on. Uh, not super impressed by that. I think they could have went with a stiffer, you know, what about a carbon fiber plate or something that had some stays in it to provide some like vertical rigidity to it? Um, yeah, not super impressed with that. Um, the main closure for the main bag, basically 
you, you shut the main bag and then there's two buckled straps that go over that. And the female buckles for that are on the load lifter posts on the rear of the lid. So it's like you have to reach up and under the lid and like feed these two buckles in there every time. And like as soon as your bag gets full and your guide or your lid is full and all this other stuff, I'm like, it was just very, very awkward and I didn't see a need for it. I felt like they were trying to do too many things at once with these load lifter poles. That's all, There's, I have some other thoughts, some pros and cons on this bag, but I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna keep that separate and we'll talk about that when we get to the... Finally, the Kefaru Fulcrum. I've been running this bag for the last five years. There's a lot of stuff I love about this bag and a lot of stuff I don't. Last year I upgraded from the tactical frame to the duplex light frame, which shaved a pound off the weight. They also updated how you adjusted the torso length. In the previous tactical frame, you basically had to take the whole bag apart. Like it was a nightmare. And then you had to put it back together so you could try it on to see if it fit. And every time you wanted to move a quarter inch one way or another, it was like this whole convoluted process. They've simplified it with the duplex light frame and you can do it all at once now. So that's great. Um, I think as far as padding, Kafaru really knocks it out of the park in a lot of ways. The best lumbar pad, and I'm gonna do a whole spiel on lumbar pads, but this is the best lumbar pad out of all the bags without a doubt. I think if I was to divide some criticism, the shoulder straps, I think pack out a little too easy. Whatever density foam they're using, it, like, I had it for three years and I had to order new shoulder straps because they were packed out. And that's in like, I don't know, maybe 75 field days a year or something. Um, and I got new shoulder straps last year and already where they carry the load, they're like, they're, they're paper thin again. And that was after one season. So I'm a little disappointed in that. The lid attachment is a big fail. Like essentially, it's supposed to be over top of the bag, but when the bag is empty, it just flops around and comes basically halfway down the front of the bag. And no matter what you do, you can't change that. Um, so I, I don't like the lid attachment system for Gafaru bags at all. Great load lifter angle though, and decent compression straps. But I'll be honest, I, I could not get the 40 pound bag of kitty litter super strapped down in here either. There's basically two main compression straps and then three straps on the two big wing pockets. And um, I just couldn't get it tight enough. And basically the, the, all the weight just kept running to the bottom of the bag. There was no way to strap it down to keep it distributed across the majority of the bag. Whereas, you know, several of the other bags, the way their strap and compression system has been designed, it allows you to like lay the weight out strap it down independently, and then when you pick it up, it stays nice and compressed to the bag and doesn't just all schluff to the bottom of the bag. But again, like I said, the Kafaru bag is 9,000 cubic inches with the lid. And I think this is one of those scenarios where you're just gonna have to pay a penalty for that larger capacity and larger volume. And that's just less adaptability with the smaller loads. Okay, so now let's get into the individual components. So. First up's first, price. The cheapest bag was the Mystery Ranch Marshall. This is all in USD at 577 bucks. Then we have the XOK3 at 675 bucks. We have the Stone Glacier coming in at $710. We have the Kuyu Pro at 756. And then in last place, we have the Kafaru coming in at over $1,000. For the frame, the lid, and the pack. Now, remember, it is a, um, a much bigger bag than some of the others. Also, I outfitted all of these in whatever basic options were available to be had. So I didn't buy extra hip belt pouches. If they came with them, I got them, like the Kuyu came with them. If another bag didn't come with them, I didn't buy them because I wanted to basically look at kind of the minimum offering of each company in this expedition grade bag. So, weights. This was the first piece of controversial information that I came across, and I'm just gonna be completely honest, I'm really disappointed. 
um, in one of the companies in particular. So let's look at the discrepancy between the advertised weight and the real weight. And I wanna take a moment and say, yes, there are some caveats with advertised weights. Lots of times they will put together like the smallest version of something and then put that out as the advertised weight. I think that's dishonest. So what I did was, I, if there wasn't any major disclaimers on the posted weight on the website, that's the weight I used as the advertised weight. Okay, so essentially what I did with the weight category is I came up with two different rankings. One is for weight honesty, and one is for weight to capacity ratio. So for the weight honesty, I took the advertised weight, compared it to the real weight, and then whatever the margin of error was, I ranked them on that. For the weight to capacity, I took the amount of cubic inches and divided it by the weight, which gave me a cubic inch per pound rating for each of the bags. So let's get into the weight honesty ranking first. So Stone Glacier comes in at first place. It is advertised at 6.1 pounds, and it weighs 6.1 pounds. This is another reason why I have problems with the other companies. It's not that difficult to put up the higher weighted weight, you know, like the more conservative. It's like a sleeping bag uh, comfort rating. If they use the survival rating, which legally they can kind of get away with as a comfort rating, you're gonna be disappointed in the bag. If you really wanna keep customers happy, take the comfort, rate, comfort rating and add a couple degrees to it. And then that way you know people are gonna be safe and you're never gonna get called out for having an under-insulated sleeping bag. I look at this weighting exercise the same way. Don't, you know, play games and find the lightest, smallest belt you've got in the shop and try and pretend that's what people are actually gonna buy. So coming in at number two is EXO. They said the bag weighed five and three quarter pounds and it showed up and weighed six pounds for a 4% error. This to me is acceptable. This could be the difference between a medium belt and a large belt, a quarter of a pound. I say this goes out in the wash. I, I didn't, I don't hold that against them. Coming in in um, third place is the Kuyu Pro. So it was advertised at 6.1 pounds and it weighed 6.7 for a discrepancy of 10%. So the bag weighed 10% more than they said it was going to. And tied at the similar 10% was the Mystery Ranch Marshall. They said it was gonna weigh 7.1 pounds and when it showed up, it weighed 7.8 pounds. Now, hold on to your seats because we haven't heard nothing yet. The Kafaru Fulcrum, based on Kafaru's website, the frame, the guide lid, and the bag are supposed to weigh 7.12 pounds based on their site. It showed up and weighed 8.9 pounds. So that bag weighed almost two pounds more than the advertised weight for a discrepancy of 25%. That is unacceptable, in my opinion. That is just false advertising. I don't, I don't care what size of belt you fit. Like, I'm only running the medium belt on this thing anyways. I don't know how you could get it any smaller. And the funny thing is, once you have all five of these in your hands and you're like picking this one up and picking this one up, like the Kafaru is a tank. All these other bags, except the Mystery Ranch is kind of heavy, but the other three bags, the Stone Glaciers and the Kuyu, they kind of feel the same when you're shuffling them around. You go to pick up the Kafaru, like nobody in their right mind would think that's a seven pound bag. And just because I thought, okay, maybe I'm out to lunch, maybe I've had mine for a few years and like it's soaked up some shit, I don't know. I've checked with three other people, all of whom weighed their frame. Also, that's the 26 inch torso frame on their website. I'm not using the 24 inch measurements. I had three other people with Kafaru fulcrums and 26 inch frames measure their bags and they all came in at about nine pounds. So that was really disappointing to me because I can remember when I bought this bag, I was specifically comparing it against the Stone Glacier. And when you see the Stone Glacier advertised weight of 6.1 pounds and the Kafaru 
advertised weight of 7.1 pounds. You're like, okay, one pound. That to me is like, okay, well, maybe that's why the Kafaru suspension system is apparently better. And maybe this will hold better weight. Like they're still in the same ballpark. But when it becomes two pounds, like the bag is only six pounds. You're talking about a 30% difference in weight. Um, really disappointed. Didn't like that at all. Now, let's look at capacity rankings. So this is cubic inches per pound. Coming in, in number one is the Stone Glacier. So 1,300 cubic inches per pound. Number two is the Kuyu Pro 7800 at 1,164 cubic inches per pound. Number three is the XO K3 at 1,147 cubic inches per pound. The Kafaru at 1,000 cubic inches per pound. And then in last place is the Mystery Ranch Marshall at 820 cubic inches per pound. And I think this is better than just ranking them on the weight because you need to compensate for the fact that some of them have greater volume than the others. All right, up next, shipping speed. Um, the Mystery Ranch Marshall wins out because Great North Precision in Kelowna had them in stock. It literally got here the next day. The Kafaru and the Stone Glacier tie for second place because Omer at Precision Optics carries both and he gets anything I want to my door in two days, always has. Coming in in third place, tied with the Kuyu Pro is the um, XOK3 and the Kuyu Pro. I both I ordered both of those um, to my US post office box and they got there at the same time. So all of these companies showed up in, in pretty decent time. I was gonna go into purchase experience, but after going through all five purchase experiences, all of them had some positive aspects and all of them had some negative aspects. I didn't really feel like any one of them blew the rest out of the water. I thought the Kuyu Web interface was probably a little cleaner and tighter. I, I like some things. The fact that the Stone Glacier was just like a point and click uh, selection, much like the K3, I really liked. Kafaru is nice because you get to pick your bag and pick your frame. Um, so yeah, uh, they all kind of washed out. Here's what I will say. I, I help create customer experience journeys for corporations, for product launches and stuff. And all of the purchase experiences could have been improved. There were, there's room for improvement on all of these, especially since it's done primarily online. So that's the only note I'm gonna make there. I'm gonna give, I'm a Canadian, and buying things in Canada is really difficult. And so I'm gonna bias this review to the Canadians a little bit, and I'm gonna give a, some Canadian bonus points. So the Kafaru, the Stone Glacier, and the Mystery Ranch all have Canadian distri distributors with equivalent pricing. They're not people that have brought stuff over and jacked it up. It's equivalent to the United States pricing. So they get three points each. The Kuyu has a very intuitive Canadian ordering section where you can order in Canadian dollars and prepay the duty and it keeps the duty and brokerage fees much lower, about $100 for the bag. So they get one bonus point for that. And unfortunately, XO gets no bonus points because if you order something for Canada, you're just gonna get dinged full charge. Um, up next are the lids. Because I run such full bags, lids are a very big deal for me. And I like the accessibility of uh, being able to get at stuff quickly in a lid. So uh, that's why I decided to rank lids. In first place is actually the Mystery Ranch Marshall. I think it's got the nicest lid out of all of them. It's articulating, it splits in the middle, the way it attaches to the bag is very nice, the way it tightens down is very nice. I liked it quite a bit. The Kuyu lid was very nice at second place. Stone Glacier was okay in third place. Um, the Kafaru came in in fourth place only because of the attachment system. I really think they need to iron those details out so that it doesn't just flop around on the front of the bag when the rest of the bag isn't packed up. And then 
The XOK3 came in last. I'm gonna be honest, I think this is probably an area they could spend some time on. It's only a 500 cubic inch lid. You only have a 6,800 cubic inch bag in total. Why not have a bigger lid? Again, just my opinion. Okay, fitting. I ranked this on like ease and accuracy. So how fast could I get the bag to fit me comfortably? And how well did it fit once I had it fit? So first place is the XOK3. It fit like a glove almost immediately. At second place was the Kuyu. It did not take me long at all to get it adjusted. Third place was the Stone Glacier. Fourth place was the Kafaru Fulcrum. And last place was the Mystery Ranch Marshall. And I wanna call something out here. I think the reason that the Marshall and the Fulcrum came in last place is because the shoulder straps don't articulate. I had to articulate all other three bags, shoulder straps, at least a couple of degrees to get that final like, ah, feeling. Where you're like, you put that bag on and you just wanna kick someone in the face. It feels so good. You're like, this is now part of my body. You're like, you know when Iron Man's suit, he sticks his arm out and flies up in the air and like all the suit bits like fly at him and stick on his body? When you can articulate those shoulder straps just a little bit and that thing just slams into your body, you're like, this is badass and this fits perfectly. And I really had a hard time achieving the same level of fit on the Marshall and the Fulcrum without the articulating shoulder straps. Okay, now here's where the rubber really hits the road. The comfort rating with 40 pounds. The Stone Glacier and the Exo tie for first place. I must have tried these things on 40 or 50 times. And I cannot, with 40 pounds, I cannot tell the difference in comfort. They both feel amazing. Coming in at second place is the Kuyu Pro. Um, I'm very impressed by that bag overall, surprisingly, because I've had some experiences with the older generations of Kuyu bags and was kind of leading into this like, I'm gonna buy it and test it, but I'm not very hopeful. And it is surprising me how well it is doing in a lot of the tests. Third place is, sorry, yeah, third place is the Kafaru Fulcrum and last place is the Mystery Ranch Marshall. And I'm gonna go ahead and say like with the Fulcrum, part of this is just the bag is too big. You, you can't strap that weight down and have it distributed over the length of the entire torso. So the kitty litter kept falling into the boot of the bag, the bottom of the cylinder. And what that would do is pull the top of the frame away from my shoulders. And no matter what I do, I kept feeling like I had to lean forward to be comfortable with 40 pounds. And I was lacking that nice comforting back contact. Whereas with the other bags, I, I, it, that was not the case. Because I could distribute the weight all the way up and down the frame, I didn't get that same sensation. Uh, the Stone Glacier had excellent back contact and immediately the shoulder straps felt perfect. Um, even though the lumbar pad was a little bit small, it, it felt good and sticky. And I'm gonna get into lumbar pads in more detail in a moment. Uh, the K3, I'm going through, they just shipped me a second belt. I have the large belt on the K3. And when I tighten it all the way, I only have about three fingers width between the two pads touching. And I think I'm right on the borderline. I know I'm right on the borderline of the two different sizes pads. And they were good enough, no charge, to ship me a new belt. They're like, try the new one on, whichever one you like, better just send the other one back. Um, so that hip belt is a little too wide and a little too long. Um, I would probably narrow it up by a half an inch to an inch and shave a half an inch to an inch length off of the large. Uh, the Mystery Ranch Marshall, I'm gonna be honest with you, the hip belt is not good. Uh, same as the shoulder straps. They are very thick and narrow. And again, it's this, you see the same thing with tires. Do you go with like a mud bogging tire that's like wide, creates a lot of surface area so it can gain a lot of friction? Or do you go with pizza cutters so you can cut down, place more pounds per square inch, and have more traction on a smaller surface area? Two completely different philosophies. For me, when it comes to shoulder straps and hip belts, I think a little wider and a little flatter seems to be my comfort zone. Um, and I will say, with the Kuyu Pro, 
The shoulder straps dug in a little bit, but then once I was able to articulate them those two degrees and get them to sit on my traps just right, it was beautiful. Um, okay, up next, lateral stability with 40 pounds. So for lateral stability, what I want you to imagine is that when you're strapped in and you have a load on, what is the distance left to right that that bag is capable of moving? You've all felt it with a heavy load. You were going up a hill, you bent over and you kind of canted at an angle and you'd feel your bag like shift to the side. Okay, that's lateral stability. And it's one of the most important elements of a backpack when you get into heavier loads, 70, 80, 90 pounds plus. And so I objectively and subjectively tested the lateral stability on all of these bags multiple times because it was something that I really wanted to, to nail. First place was the EXO. It is shocking. And I'm gonna give the credit to the compression strap system. It is so good and the frame is so wide and the, and the compression straps don't like go into the frame, they come right down onto the frame, that when you have that thing locked in, it's like one piece. It's not even like you have something inside a bag. It's like there's a bag of concrete strapped to your back. It does not budge. I was very impressed. Coming in at a very close second, and I literally had to put these things on like 15 times a piece to really, and even now, depending on the day of the week, I, the Stone Glacier is so close, I, I still have a hard time giving it second place, but Stone Glacier gets second place, the Kafaru Fulcrum gets third place, the Kuyu Pro gets fourth place, and the Mystery Ranch Marshall gets last place. Now, vertical stability. So now I want you to think about the distance. When you're strapped in, if somebody just came up to the back of you and grabbed your pack, what is the distance that pack could move vertically before it hit resistance from your frame? And I actually did this with a series of jumping tests. So I would put the bag on, and I also had somebody come and physically lift the bag, and I measured how far everything moved through the series of the two different tests. So again, it, it, it's essentially a replica because the bags that have been designed in a way to lock down those loads and to keep it to a wider frame tend to do better in these tests. So we've got the EXO in first place, Stone Glacier in second place, the Fulcrum in third place, the Kuyu in fourth place, and the Mystery Ranch Marshall in last place. Now I wanna talk about lumbar pads. Lumbar pads are something I don't think enough people pay attention to, and I think it's the reason Kafaru has got the acclaim for its suspension system that it has. And I think in later generations of Kuyu bags, they've tried to replicate, in a sense, the type of lumbar pad that Kafaru is using. So for dudes who like don't have a big ass, like you know, women are, are, are hippie and, and, and they have a bum, Guys tend to be narrow without a bum. And so, other than your iliac crest in the front, when you go to tighten your hip pad, what is physically retaining or keeping that weight on your hips is that lumbar pad right in the curve of your small back. And then the hip belt creates pressure, squeezing that lumbar pad into the small of your back. And that's what allows you to carry the majority of the weight on your hips. I think it's something people don't spend enough time fitting correctly. And I don't think it's, most of these bags did not do it very well. And I think it's because at lighter weights, it can be uncomfortable. So they've been designed in a way to give you the appearance of comfort, but they're lacking, they're lacking some of the practicality because the bigger lumbar pads give you a superior performance at higher weights. So what I did was I ranked the overall quality of the lumbar pads as far as what I'm looking for in a lumbar pad. First place is the Kafaru Fulcrum. Second place, Kuyu Pro 7800. Third place, the XOK3. Fourth place, the Stone Glacier. And last place is the Mystery Ranch Marshall. The Marshall essentially doesn't really even have a lumbar pad to speak of. And it's covered in like a cloth material. That's the other thing that went into this ranking was not just the size and the density of the lumbar pad, 
but the material that was covering the lumbar pad. You want something that's gonna have some stick to it. So when you apply pressure against the small of your back, it doesn't wanna just slide down your back. Now there's a couple caveats to this. EXO actually sells for 10 bucks, which I'm sure is like just cost, a lumbar pad replacement kit, specifically for dudes like me. And what happens is it comes with an extra shim, there's one shim in there already, and it comes with replacement foam. It's a two types of foam, uh, high density, medium density foam with the medium density against your back and the high density against the pack. And you actually replace the entire lumbar pad in the sleeve. You replace the foam inside the sleeve. Um, I've ordered it, I haven't tried it yet, again, because I'm trying to compare base models. And there's like little things you can upgrade on all these bags and you're gonna end up spending an extra 50 or 100 bucks by the time you're done. And I wanted to be comparing the bags as is. However, when we get up into the later testing and if I'm down to like two or three bags and we're dealing with 120 pounds, I also wanna know what the best case scenario is with these bags. Like what are these bags capable of if I give them everything that they can have? And so I bought it and I will put it in once we get up to 120 pounds. Also, the Kuyu comes with an extra shim, which I haven't put in yet, because to be honest, it had the second best lumbar pattern at 40 pounds, it wasn't necessary. Okay, finally, load lifter angle. Again, I explained what this is for, so this was literally just a measurement of the actual angle of inclination of the load lifter angle and which one um, had the most superior angle. Kafaru first place, Stone Glacier second place, Kuyu third place, Exo fourth place, and Mystery Ranch coming in in last place. All right, the moment you have all been waiting for, the actual tally. So out of all of these bags, this is the one that I think is the best. Now, take a beat. The best at what? I would say that given the weight I put in these and the things that I compared the most, you could say that objectively it would be the best day bag or two to three night bivy bag because I don't think you're likely to be walking around with 40 pounds um, on trips that are much deeper than that. I know some guys who can do 15 day sheep hunts with 55 pounds, you know who I'm talking about, and I can't do that. I walk in with 80 or 90 pounds because I go solo, I film, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Um, okay, coming in at first place was the Stone Glacier at 44 points. Second place was the XO at 42 points. Third place was the Kuyu Pro at 35 points. Fourth place was the Kafaru Fulcrum at 33 points. And fifth place was the Mystery Ranch at 29 points. So this was out of a total of 65 points. Um, I will say this, I was shocked. I'm gonna be honest with you. I've been running my Kafaru for five years. I was a pretty diehard Kafaru guy. I'm gonna tell you right now if I was going on a three-day hunt. Now, I'm almost gonna re refrain from making this next statement because I haven't run the 120 pound tests and I know what my Kafaru feels like with 120 pounds in it. And even if I had to deal with the drawbacks of kind of the negative ways the Kafaru behaves with 40 pounds in it, um, I might put up with it to get that performance at 120. However, if these other bags operated 120 even relatively close to the Kafaru at 120, I wouldn't take the Kafaru. I mean, right now, 100%, it's a toss up for me at 40 pounds between the Stone Glacier and the Exo K3 6400. There's only two points separating those two, 44 for the Stone Glacier and 42 for the Exo. And I didn't go back and work these numbers at all. In fact, I thought intuitively the EXO was in first place this whole time, and I realized just now. And I think it's, I think it's, I can tell you right now, it's the weight honesty and the weight capacity. 
if the, if the XO was bigger, I think it would probably be a tie. But the fact that you can fit 79 cubic inch, 100 cubic inches in the Stone Glacier and only 6,800, I mean, that's 1,100 cubic inches. That's a significant amount of space. Now, here's the other thing I wanna get into. I will actually be doing practical volume tests. So all of these are measured by like weight or water displacement and all the rest, but I will actually be packing each of these bags with the same materials in order to find out, A, do they live up to the hype and the, does the one that says it's the biggest actually hold the most? And maybe some of the ones that are smaller but are designed more intuitively can actually fit more stuff. Like just because you have space in there doesn't mean it's necessarily usable space. Anyways, there's a lot more testing to be done. I'm hoping to have the rest of the series posted inside of two weeks because I got a sheep hunt coming up. I got a bodybuilding competition coming up. Work is blowing off the rails. It's shit's crazy, but this is really important to me, so I'm getting it done. Now, all that being said, take everything you heard here with a grain of salt. It was a ton of information. I know it wasn't perfect. If there are more elements you want to see me look at, please drop me a line. If you honestly think, I was kind of kidding at the beginning about not emailing me. I am, just don't bombard me with like your own little recommendations. But legitimately, if you think there's something I can do better, you're welcome to email me. Um, yeah, and I hope you guys found this, found this helpful. So as always, if you can engage in the platform in any way, I would greatly appreciate it. Like, comment, share, subscribe, and hopefully maybe next week, the week after, I'll have part two up. And as always, thanks for tuning in.